dream so big that the only way that you can fulfill it, it's God. I dare you to dream past your insecurity. I dare you to dream past your fear. I dare you to dream past religion. I dare you to dream tonight the dream of heaven. I dare you to come in alignment with what God told Abraham when he found himself in a place of covenant. And God said, I will make your descendants great in all the earth. We're a part of that covenant. That covenant has not and will not be broken. You want to know why God sealed that thing and it was so important? Because in Genesis 15, God began to seal a covenant with Abraham. And he allowed Abraham to bring the sacrifice. But he did not allow Abraham to begin to seal the sacrifice. Do you want to know why? Because he wanted to show Abraham, this thing is bigger than you. Yes. It's okay to begin to dream into something that is bigger than yourself. And I'm telling you right now, if the older generation does not begin to dream, then the younger generation will not begin to dream. But I'm telling you right now, if we can begin to believe in this house, I'm telling you right now, if your kids will grow up in an environment that they see dreams come to pass, then what you have fulfilled, your kids will go way beyond what you ever thought you could ever be a part of. I'm telling you right now, we have seen miracles, signs, and wonders. We are dreaming so big. And I'm sitting here thinking, God, if you're going to do these things within my lifetime, what are you going to do within my children? What are you going to do within my grandchildren? Oh, God, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to awaken the nations. In Second Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When God created you, he didn't create you just to be in a standstill of complacency and he definitely didn't complete you and make you to be normal. I'm telling you, I give you permission tonight to be non-normal, to be radical, to come out of complacency, to begin to dream the biggest, wildest, craziest dreams for the hills of West Virginia. I'm telling you, Jordan, you don't stop dreaming for your high school. I'm telling you right now, don't stop dreaming for your family. Don't you dare stop dreaming. Do you know the word dare means to provoke and stir up? The word dare literally means to provoke and stir up. I don't know about you, but I want to be provoked to begin to do good works. And I don't want to just do good works in the preparation of a program of a ministry. That is not the good works that I'm talking about. The good works that I'm talking about is I want to be a carrier of the blood of Jesus and the cross of Calvary to blind eyes open up and deaf ears open up and crack addicts come off of cocaine and strippers walk out of the club saying there's something tugging on the inside of me that I need to change my life. I'm not interested in a 12-step program. I'm interested in a one-step program. And that's one step to Calvary where your life will never be the same again. God said, listen, I want to walk you through these things. I want to take you through the process. And I'm going to take you through some things so you can get to the point where you understand and know that I'm God. There's no striving in revival. There's no striving in a relationship with God. 
Have you ever been taught the five love languages when you're with your wife? If you begin to find out what the love language is of your wife, there is no striving. Oh, there is no strife. My wife loves words of affirmation. Oh my. And when daddy starts to talk good to mommy, oh, it unlocks something. Listen, God has given you a love language for a reason. And he wants to provoke you and he wants to stir you up to begin to bring forth destiny and purpose out of your life. He doesn't want you to just be sitting on a pew on your hands when your hands can raise the dead, when your hands can heal the sick, when your hands can begin to feed the hungry, when your hands can clothe the poor. God doesn't want you to begin to sit on your hands. God wants you to dream and I stir you up and provoke you tonight to dream inside the hills of Appalachia. Well, brother, I want to start a bus ministry and I don't have the money to get a bus, but you got a car and I'll put four in that one. And when that one's full, God will trust me with the small things. And the next thing you know, I'll be driving a 55 caravan that I can load up the whole ghetto. You have resources. God's just wanting you to use them. Goodness gracious, the caveman did not start with B.F. Goodrich. But he began to provoke and stir up that I'm going to carve a wheel out of stone. And that what I do in the beginning phases of the dream, Goodyear is going to reproduce something bigger. So now we have legacy and now we get to watch NASCAR. I'm daring somebody to go beyond a stone wheel and dream for a generation to go farther than you ever thought about going. How are you going to respond? Second Timothy Chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says this. It says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift. Can I tell you, the gifts of God are without repentance. Can I begin to tell you right now in this house that we have got to get over the days that I feel led by the Spirit? No, listen, I'm telling you right now, we got to get the lead of our backsides because there's a generation and a harvest out there and the harvest is white in the fields. I'm telling you, some of you need to be reminded that the day that you came to an altar and hands were laid on you and prophecy came forth, that prophecy did not die. You want to know why? Because a Logos word and a Rhema word are both words from God and the Bible said that the word of God would never go void. So anyway, word that has been spoken over you is still alive. Any word that's been spoken over your granddaddy is still alive. Any word that was spoken over this region back in the days of a great awakening are still alive. God's looking for you to put yourself in the storyline. Let me remind you the great awakenings and revivals are not dead. Oh, last week I was in California and I said, I'm going to take me a trip to Azusa Street. If you don't know what Azusa Street is, Azusa Street is what started this denomination and many others to follow. And I went down to Azusa Street. And when I got to Azusa Street, I'm going to tell you right now, I was a little embarrassed and I was a little ashamed of what the church has allowed happen. Because listen, when Joshua crossed over the Jordan, God said, build me a memorial. Why? You do it for the next generation to show that God began to move in this place. I'm telling you right now, we need to go to the memorial stones and begin to build a memorial because if God did it once, he said, I want to take you from glory to glory to glory. He wants to do it again. Do 
you know the word testimony in the Hebrew does not mean to tell your story? It means to do again at a high level. That's why you're overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony because the moment you begin to release the word, you've now put yourself in the storyline and then somebody like me who's been delivered from porn, drugs, alcohol, perversions, anger, bitterness, pride, when I begin to give my testimony, what I'm doing is in the atmosphere of an entire region. I'm allowing somebody else that's held captive to put their self in my storyline. And God wants to do it again at a higher level. He wants to do it again with a fresh fire and a fresh anointing to see America turn back to God. I went to Azusa Street and I seen on the corner of Azusa. Remember, we're supposed to remind ourselves of some old things. Oh, we're supposed to tell the old stories. I'm telling you right now, there's a legacy in this room that you should hear some of the stories from Brimfield. Brimfield, Ohio, when this man and this son and other people begin to lay hands on people, and yeah, we used to have demons manifest back in those days, and we used to cast them out, and they would literally throw up spiders. I remember when Brother Camp laid his hands on a woman, and she began to vomit up a spider, and he took his foot, and he stomped that devil, he stomped that devil, and said, you're under my feet. Demons are real. And it's time that we start binding and loosening them. Because when I went down to Azusa Street, I just realized that as I was pulling into Azusa, it was on Skid Row. Literally the well of revival that hosted the presence of God so strong. Some of you know the stories. If you don't, go study it. Man, on the streets of Azusa, Coming up to Azusa Street Corner, there's nothing but thousands and thousands and thousands of homeless people. There's nothing but thousands and thousands of homeless people. And when I pulled up at the corner, it's no longer a road anymore. Do you want to know why? Because the devil's trying to tell a generation that the days of revival are over. That, but I'm telling you, God is raising up a generation that says, I'm going to dream the old dreams. I'm going to dig the old wells like Abraham and Isaac. And I'm going to see them wells spring forth again in the name of Jesus. You want to know why? Because the fire of Azusa never went out. They think the fire of Azusa went out. And I went down to Azusa Street, and I'm disgusted that on the corner they've done build a bank. Huh. Go figure. Yeah, some of our dreams are wrapped around money, and because they're wrapped around money and not God, that's why we're not seeing them come to pass. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to have to write a check before you ask for a check. And I'm not trying to prosperity anything in the house, but I'm telling you, some of you are going to have to let go of the God called the Almighty Dollar and begin to tap into Almighty Yahweh, who is my provider, my Jehovah Jireh. I don't care what the economy's doing. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. The resources for this hills and valley are in this house right now. I went to Azusa Street and I seen a bank and I seen an alleyway with just a small plaque. And you know what it said? The Pentecostal movement of America was here and God once moved here. Oh, really? You that arrogant? 
I didn't know what to do. I walked around the whole block talking in tongues. God, I want my sons to see the dead raised. I want to see blinded eyes open. I want to see, God, you begin to move in such a mighty way in this next generation, God. God, I want to see it magnified on the days of me being a child. I remember falling asleep in the glory of God on wooden pews and waking up and just seeing a glory cloud and seeing the saints of God begin to cry out for the lost. They didn't come to church to be entertained. They come to church to contend for a generation. They came to church to contend for America. And so I noticed on the corner of Azusa that there was a brick little park. And I walked up and I found a spot right in the middle and I got down on my knees and I began to cry out to God for revival in America and revival in California. And as I'm crying out for revival, there was a man that tapped me on the shoulder And he said, son, are you here praying for Azusa Street? And I said, sir, yes, I am. And we begin to talk about Azusa Street. And in that very concrete brick park was the place where the house sat, where William Seymour began to preach and began to pray. And he said, son, right where you're kneeling is the exact spot where William Seymour used to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in one of the greatest revivals America had ever seen. And I began to weep. I began to cry. I didn't care if I was in public. I'm telling you, I felt the presence of God begin to come on us right in that moment. And he began to tell me about the Azusa Street Revival. And he told me this. He said, son, do you see that tree over there? Let me go back. Remember, we're in Timothy right now, and we need to remind ourselves of some things so we get stirred up. And here's this security guard. Oh, let me say it. This prophet. Let me tell you, the prophet security guard. I'm telling you right now, your job is not a job. God has placed you in a place and he's waiting on you to begin to dream at your work so revival can break out at your job. No, 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 you don't get me. See, in the second great awakening, there was a man by the name of Charles Finney that they called the father of revival. And Charles Finney gave up his job in, 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 in the 1800s of being a lawyer in New York City. And he left being a lawyer in New York City so that he could be a trailblazing revivalist. And I'm going to tell you right now, the history book said that when Charles Finney would begin to walk up in the factories, literally the fire that was in his eyes would make eye contact with the people that were working in the factory. And they would get on their knees and begin to confess their sins and cry your job is more than a job it's a place of revival and God is waiting on you to dream that security guard began to prophesy over me wasn't Reinhardt Bunky wasn't T.D. Jakes pastor I'm bawling my eyes out in the middle of the public square And as I'm sitting there, he said, you see that citrus tree right there, boy? I said, yes, sir. He said, you ever read any of the history books about the citrus tree? I said, no, I did not. 
He said, let me tell you about the citrus tree. Let me tell you about the fire of revival in Azusa Street. He didn't know what God was dealing me with about storylines. He didn't know what God was dealing with me about beginning to walk out my dreams. And he sat there and prophesied over me. And he said, listen, revivalist. He said, you see that citrus tree? That citrus tree was planted 115 years ago. He said, and if you know anything about citrus trees, then you'll know this. A citrus tree won't live anything over 60 or 70 years. He said, but that citrus tree was planted the year before the Azusa Street Revival took off. He said, and that citrus tree is 115-year-old, and that 115-year-old tree was full of so much fruit. And he said, let me tell you something. You kids think the fire revival went out in Azusa? It's burning fruit in kids like you. I need you to put yourself in the storyline of Azusa Street, California. Some of y'all need to remind yourself of your prophecies. Some of you need to begin to respond to what God is wanting to do in your life in this moment. And it's going to be more than nominal Christianity. It's going to be more than just a Sunday morning service. It's going to be every day of your life. It's going to be your job. It's going to be your home. It's going to be everything that you put your hands to. God is going to begin to bless it. Don't forget the gift which is in you through the laying on of hands. We're going to lay hands on some people tonight. There's power in the laying on of hands. If there wasn't power in the laying on of hands, then I'm telling you right now, when Moses knew that his time was done, he would have not laid his hands on Joshua and begin to give his authority to the next generation. I'm telling you right now, there's going to be some kids come through this line, and God's going to mark you with the Cane Ridge Revival. God's going to mark you with Azusa Street. He's going to mark you with the First Great Awakening. He's going to mark you with the Welsh Revival. And you know what? You're not going to care. You're not going to care where you are or who you're talking to. You know the revival can break out anywhere that you are. I dare you to go walk up in Cracker Bell and just ask somebody if they need healed. I dare you to go into Walmart and when you see the person in the crutch, just lay your hands on them and say in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. You think it sounds far-fetched, don't you? Come visit Ohio. This is my mandate. It's not to crush any leadership. But the day of the Sunday morning expression is over. I'm sorry. It's over. It's over. It's over. It's over. God is calling us to a 24-7. Never let the fire on my altar burn out. I don't care if you're black, white, yellow, red, Hispanic, Asian. God has called you and he's performed a workmanship over your life. And I'm telling you right now, there's an anointing that is going to be released in this last day revival. And it's going to be more than a Sunday morning church expression. You're going to flip the world upside down for the glory of Almighty God. This burns in me. It burns in me. It burns. It burns. It burns. It burns. It burns. I'd rather it burn in me than somebody burn in hell. I'd rather it burn in me and I embarrass you than somebody burn in a lake of fire for eternity.
God just wants you to dream. He just wants you to dream. He's just asking you to dream. He's wanting you to believe the prophecies of the laying on of hands. How many of you in the room have ever had anybody lay hands on you? Raise your hand. Anybody ever lay hands on you? Then it's time for you to be irregular. What does that mean? Just be irregular. I don't have a Greek or a Hebrew definition for it. I'm just telling you to be irregular like my brother-in-law was being irregular when revival broke out at Paula Mitchell. He begins to put soap in bottles every day. So him and his Baptist friend begin to cross denominational lines. And they made a pact agreement to do what? That every day, every day when the temp agents come to work at that place, they were going to pack two lunches. And the reason they was going to pack two lunches, because there's 19 and 20 year old kids that are hungry because they don't work. They like to play video games and eat Cheetos. So when they get into the first eight hour day of work, they get a little bit hungry. And to be honest with you, they're tired of sharing their lunch with the kids. So they say, we just go ahead and pack two lunches. <clears throat> they turned their lunchroom into revival. Kids begin to sit down and eat lunch with them. And they begin to share the gospel. To the point that it was so impacted that the owner of the company... This is not Hobby Lobby. This is not Chick-fil-A. This is Paula Mitchell, ladies. I know you know what I'm talking about. Fellas, you do not know what I'm talking about. Okay? Unless you're a pretty boy. Okay? Okay? Pastor knows what I'm talking about. But y'all don't. (laughs) A Baptist boy and a Pentecostal boy start having lunch. And you want to know what happened? That place... Turned the lunchroom into an extravagant buffet. And they begin to put scriptures on the wall. And they begin to talk about the goodness and the prosperity of Jesus Christ. Revival is already here. It's just waiting on you. It's, I said it's here. Revival that will save your family. That will bust open every crack house. That will close down every strip joint. And close down every bar. It's already here in the hills of West Virginia. For God has not given us again. The spirit again to fear. But of power. And of love. And a sound mind. Fear. You say it again. Fear. Fear of man. Fear of religion. Fear. Fear of your reputation. Fear. Everybody in this room faces fear. You know what I tell you to do with fear? Feel it. Feel it all over you. Let it become a driving source. I served in the United States Marine Corps and you had two options. It was fight or flight. You know what they used to tell us? You're going to feel fear. You're going to stare fear right in the face, but you're going to have to respond and make a choice. Are you going to fight? Are you going to run? And I'm telling this church today, go ahead and feel the fear of this entire county. But I'm telling you, greater is he that is in you than anything. It's time to face the devil head on. It's time.
feel fear and do it anyway. You want to know why? Because fear is a temporary regret that tries to stay forever. Fear is a temporary regret that the enemy wants you to take to your grave and wants you to shut your mouth and sit on a rock in a field, David, when you say, "Uh uh-uh, I got something that there's a cause in me that I'm going to shut that big mouth Philistine up. You want to know why David didn't take fear and regret to his grave? Because he was the only one that was in the secret place of prayer. Do you want to know why David or why Goliath came out for a month and a half? See, it just takes a month and a half for you to move from the front row to the back row. It just takes about a month and a half for you to stop tithing. It takes a month and a half for you to stop praying. It takes a month and a half for you to get in so much prison that you can't figure out who you are anymore. And all you want to do is run from the calling that God has on your life. It just takes a month and a half of not being obedient to God or having delayed obedience, which is still disobedience. It just takes a month and a half. It just takes one church service that you decided to miss because that dinner table wasn't pleasant enough for you but the Friday night football game was and God begins to begin to fight for you but you begin to appetize at a table of fear that begins to put regret on your life and shame and guilt and Jesus said I paid every bit of price for that on the cross you're not going to stay there in regret and fear anymore fear becomes so mesmerizing It becomes so enticing. It becomes such a lifestyle. It becomes to the place that you won't let your testimony be released anymore. Fear becomes so mesmerizing that you forget that God wants healed you. God wants set you free. And, and fear, see, fear isn't sin. See, fear is the place of regret where you begin to sit and your entire family's soul is crying out for a savior. And here you are. Oh, you, you, you see all of creation groans and waits for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. But you're in the prison of regret. Because Goliath's month and a half, he came out 80 times trying to capture your double portion of a new beginning. When did he come out? In the morning and in the evening. He came out in the time of prayer. You want to know when fear becomes your prison? When you stop praying. Because fear has no control over you. Only the control that you give it. The devil has no control over you. Only the control that you give him. For every person in this room that is a saint will judge the angels. So if you can judge the angels, then guess what? You can tap into an inheritance in heaven and begin to fulfill a dream for the hills of West Virginia that will flip the world upside down. Two people prayed and received a dream. One was by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter one, did what? 
He prayed until. He didn't just pray. He prayed until. And what happened? God gave him the dream to rebuild the walls of a city. Do you know that the prayers of a father will build such security that a generation can do whatever they need to do for the kingdom of God? That's what a father's prayers will do. You know what a mother's prayers will do, Hannah? See, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, here was somebody else that had a dream. You know what their dream did? It birthed a prophet that would be set apart for an entire nation. And do you want to know why she named him Samuel? The Hebrew meaning for the name Samuel is this. God heard. You want to know what's going to bring revival to these hills? When you start running around declaring you're Samuel. And people start seeing the fortified walls of tabernacle praise. This is your moment. And this is your turning point for history, for the hills, tabernacle. And are you willing to pay the price to pray until? Are you willing to take all of your resources and begin to go until the walls are built in that high school? Are you willing to go? Listen, some of you, I want to have a women's shelter. Then open your house on Tuesday mornings and start going and getting them. Some of you ladies need to walk right up into Southern Dixie or whatever it's called. I don't know. I just seen something Southern on it. You need to walk right up into that old beer joint. You need to walk right up into that strip club and you need to just take a rose with you and just start telling the daughters of Sarah, you're beautiful. You don't have to stand here and sell your body for lust. You don't have to stay here in this condition any longer. There's a God in heaven that loves you. Every resource that is in this room for this region is right here. It's will you allow the God to take what you have and multiply your fishes and bread? You know what's so peculiar about that story? God showed me this. Out of all those people, pastor, why was there just one boy prepared to go another day with Jesus? There was only one boy that packed a lunch that said, hey, this thing really might happen and it really might go longer than one day. One boy's faith ended up feeding some probably 30,000 people because the Bible says that it was men and women and children. So one boy's, oh, hear me. I'm going to end with this. We need to get the synergy of the generations. It was one boy's lunch that fed an entire city. It was one boy's willing. Oh, come on, somebody hear me. It was one boy that took an old man that didn't have vision anymore and stuck Hampson's hands on the pillars and Samson walked in the power of God. One more time. We need to see the synergy of the ages and we need to put ourselves in the storyline. We ain't going to do this alone. If a little boy don't give his lunch up to authority, a city don't get fed. If a little boy didn't judge Samson, how much longer are we going to judge an older generation for the mistakes that they made? Are we going to take their hands and put them on pillars? Because that old generation is strong. I'm telling you, an old generation of intercessors that could pray until, I'm telling you, kids, hear me. We need to learn from an older generation that would grab hold of the horns of the altar and pray until somebody walked through those doors. I remember as a kid that every Sunday night they would pray and pray and pray. 
pray for lost souls. And you know what you saw come through the door? The harvest. We saw the harvest. Will you stand all over this room?